1: com lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed when the newest and biggest MLS signing Javier
2: Chicharito Hernandez released a video of himself calling his move to the LA Galaxy the quote beginning of my retirement and then he doubled down on that assertion in subsequent interviews there was the expected wince of consternation and the smirk of delight but Chicharito's use of the R word perpetuates a negative perception of Major League Soccer. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about Chicharita's use of the R-word. In our Mossy Makes a Case segment, Mossy's going to be talking about the relevancy, uh, or lack of relevancy, when it comes to domestic cups. In our Ask Alexi segment, we'll be talking about Inter-Miami and the Mandalorian. In our back three, we'll be talking about Real Madrid and the transfer window closing. And before I get to my friend, uh, my colleague, my guiding light, I want to make sure that everybody understands something. This is our 100th episode. It has been 100 episodes, every single one. Uh, I have been next to my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mosse, a soccer savant, a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, congratulations uh, to all of us here on our 100th episode. Alex is working the, uh, the equipment and... On this 100th episode, in honor of the 100th episode, we have decided to include him and give him a microphone. Say hello to the people, Alex. Hello. Uh, great That's to enough. be here. That's enough. That's yep, enough. Thanks. That's enough. Mossy, congratulations on your uh, 100th episode. And uh, thank you for uh, you know, hanging out with me all this time. Can you believe it's been 100 episodes? Incredible milestone.
3: Uh, very proud. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've, I've enjoyed Every minute of this. so, uh.
2: and, and we continue to uh, tweak and change and alter and hopefully in an effort to improve what we're going. If you listen to the first episode and juxtapose it with what this is or what the last episode was, uh, you can see how we've grown into it, as is, is going to be the case, uh, in terms of being a lot more efficient and understanding what you want out there. But we recognize that it's still going to be a work in progress. But it is a wonderful work in progress, as I see, say so often, it is a... A labor of love. Um, I think we really—I don't want to speak for you, but I certainly enjoy doing it. And hopefully, people under, out there appreciate and have come to understand that you know we can't—we can't be everything to everybody. But we're trying to bring as many people into the tent as possible. There's so many podcasts out there that you can that you can download, and I'm sure that you do, and that you include us in your podcast template out there warms the cockles of all of our hearts. And uh, we will continue to hopefully give you the type of podcast uh, that uh, you are uh, accustomed to. Uh, before we move on, uh, Mossy, uh, I would be remiss. We are here in Los Angeles. Usually we talk about what happened over the weekend. Obviously, uh, not just the uh, here in Los Angeles, but all across the country and all across the wor- world, people uh, heard the incredibly horrible uh, news uh, about the helicopter crash and the loss of nine lives, including uh, basketball and sports uh, icon uh, Kobe Bryant. Our condolences uh, go out to all of the family and friends of all of the nine victims of that crash. It dominated the airwaves here, as you would ex- expect, on a weekend that was full of... Uh, Not just this news, but also the Grammy Awards and a lot going on. And it was amazing to see from a number of different aspects, not the least of which was the way that this news proliferated out into our consciousness. And you follow it on Twitter. I'm sure there will be examinations on how it all went down and all that kind of stuff. But uh, an incredibly sad moment for uh, so many people. Uh, not the least of which is, as I said, the family and friends of the nine people that perished on that, uh, that helicopter crash. And so we are thinking about them as we continue to uh, do the podcast. All right, let's get to it. As you know, each and every week, we start the pod off with...
0: Alexi Lawless's State of the Union.
2: Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. The word retirement in relation to Major League Soccer has a long and complicated history. It has always been a trigger. For those looking to bash MLS, it is sweet music as it confirms beliefs and bolsters criticisms. For those looking to praise MLS, it's a frustrating fingernail on a chalkboard that plays on insecurities. MLS has spent the last 25 years fighting the perception of being a, quote, retirement league. So when the newest and biggest MLS signing, Javier Chicharito Hernandez, released a video of himself calling his move to the LA Galaxy the, quote, beginning of my retirement, and then he doubled down on that assertion in subsequent interviews, there was the expected wince of consternation and the smirk of delight. The video was a heartwarming, albeit calculated, peek behind the curtain that humanized a star player. Chicharito was in tears as he talked to his parents about his move to LA and we were voyeurs allowed to eavesdrop on a private and honest personal moment. Chicharito was 31 years old and he has spent the last 10 years playing in Europe. Everyone can appreciate and respect that in life, a new job, a relocation or the ending of a chapter can be emotional and jarring, even if you're making millions. But Chicharito's use of the R word perpetuates a negative perception of Major League Soccer. If Chicharito had moved to Italy, Holland, France, you'd think he would have framed it in the same way, saying it was, quote, the beginning of his retirement? Yet, he had no qualms using it in relation to MLS. The thing is, while you'd like him to help, it's really not Chicharito's job to change the perception. It's MLS's. All right, Mossy, there's my uh, State of the Union for this week. Uh, what did you think of uh, Chicharito framing his move to Major League Soccer as the beginning of his retirement? Are we we being too harsh?
3: Are we being too sensitive? Are
2: we being too defensive?
3: Well, first off, I know you had a chance to interview him on Friday. You and Alex Dowd uh, paid a visit to Dignity Health Sports Park, and you gave him a chance to clarify his comments. So how did that conversation go?
2: It was was really interesting. You know, I've met him over the years, and he was just an incredibly uh, personable and joyous and exuberant and passionate type of individual, and it comes off in the uh, interview that we did. As it relates to what we're talking about here, I did. I started off the interview and I asked him specifically about his retirement, and he doubled down and continued to talk about this as being the, quote, beginning of his retirement. And, you know, I would give him the video part of it, but then in in the following press conferences, and then when he talked to me, he he seemed to say that it doesn't matter how I or others define the word retirement or how we uh, have a negative connotation to it. It's, he doesn't see it as a negative. He sees it as a a positive. Like that's, yeah, that I, I I don't agree with him there, but respect to him for, for coming on and talking about it. And then we talked about a bunch of other things. I think what was interesting though is the way that he specifically called out Liga MX, And uh, we're going to play the clip right now because I think it is vital to this conversation when we talk about the insecurities and the inferiority complex that we often have as Americans, as Major League Soccer fans, but also the insecurities and the defensiveness that Liga MX and the Mexican media, especially uh, Mexican media here in Los Angeles and in the United States in terms of glomming on to that word and the way it was used by different parties. So uh, here is Chicharito, I'm talking to him and he's talking as to how this word and how the the concept of of being a retirement league has played out and how it's actually something that Liga MX needs to learn from and to progress from.
3: This league is growing so much and my country doesn't want to see it and doesn't want to learn from it.
2: So Mossy, when he talks about that, he's absolutely right in that what Liga MX is now is obviously very different than it was ten years ago, and there is some fear and some insecurity behind some of the comments and the way that so many grasped onto that. But there's the other side, and the MLS side too, that it's just a, a, a you know a, a as I said an insecurity that's uh, that's been around. I think he's being a little disingenuous when he says that his definition of retirement is the one that we need to use. And by his explanation and uh, by his definition, that then, according to him, a 21-year-old is beginning his retirement as opposed to a 20-year-old. So the minute you start playing, you're basically beginning your retirement.
3: Look, I think Chicharito is going to play hard, and I think he's going to play well. And that's important because over the years, we have seen players who viewed MLS as a semi-retirement and treated it as such. And I don't think that's going to be the case here. And once he gets on the field and starts scoring goals, we're going to forget about this and move on. But for the time being, I did find that video problematic, and it did spoil the Chicharito rollout a little bit. I know there are people like Grant Wall that feel like if you focus on the retirement thing at all, you're living life the wrong way. But I'm sorry, it's not just a retirement. The whole tone of that video is him consoling his father and telling him, look, I know it's depressing to be leaving Europe to go to MLS and the meaningful part of my career is over and we're now transitioning to this other thing, but it's going to be okay, dad. It's going to be okay. I'm sorry. There's no objective person that could have watched that video and not felt like that was the tone of it. And if you're somebody that cares about the credibility of MLS around the world, that video would hit you a weird way.
2: And, you know, I asked the open-ended question in my State of the Union, would he have said the same thing had he gone to Italy, a place that he didn't play, or had he gone to France, a place that he didn't play, or if his European adventure had continued? Here's the deal. Just say it's the end of a chapter, okay? You don't, you, you, and that's why. And, and you, uh, you can find my interview with Chicharito, and like I said, it's just five minutes, so it's really quick. It's in and out. I bu- ask him a bunch of different questions, not just about retirement. You can find it out there on YouTube and all of our uh, all of our Fox Sports uh, channels and platforms out there. But when when he's talking about it, and you know, I said you're a smart guy, you you get what that word is and the connotations that are associated to that, and he, and and he did, and he, I think he does. But once again. He doubled down, and he refused to budge on that, where he could have just said, it's the end of a chapter. You know, That, that European part of my life that has been so important to me over the last 10 years is done, and I'm starting a whole, a whole new chapter. But that he used it for MLS, I don't think he would have used that phrase had he gone anywhere else.
3: Yeah, for the longest time, the role that MLS played in the global transfer market is that it was a place where big stars at the tail end of their careers when they felt a sense of completion about their time in Europe, could go to collect a big paycheck and ease into retirement in a less pressurized environment. That's just a fact and MLS embraced that. In more recent times, we've seen MLS also cultivate a role as a good place for young South American and Central American players to go and to use as a bridge to Europe. Now, there's issues there in terms of being a selling league, which not everybody's entirely comfortable with, but I think most people would rather see MLS go in that direction, yet there still is this allure of these Latans and Chicharitos, and so you do have these two competing forces, which makes it kind of an interesting time, and you're trying to find that balance between those two things.
2: You know, that's why I finished my State of the Union with saying I don't even blame Chicharito. I can take him to task for the words that he used, and I think it's a I think it's a reasonable and fair debate to have. And he's a big boy, and and he can he can have that type of argument and discussion and and, and debate. But if you are MLS. I don't necessarily even blame Chicharita. He can have his opinions and he can state them. This is MLS's problem to fix. And if you don't want to be perceived as something, then you have to go about what is necessary to change that perception. Uh, And in this case, it would be spending a whole lot more money, okay? Making it not a destination at the end or the tail end or the... The, the latter stages of somebody's career, but more and more recognizing it that's either an initial uh, destination or that sweet spot is in the prime. It is a destination where you're not only you're getting paid, you don't lose face in terms of your perception from your national team coach or from your fan base out uh, out there. You're getting the competition that you need. You continue to play for that, whatever national team you are, all of those different things. That comes with time, but it also comes with money. And that gets back to if MLS really wants to compete with all of these other leagues that don't have the perception of being retirement leagues, then they have to step up when it comes to the money that they spend. Now, it's easy to spend other people's money. We all we all understand that. But that's why I thought about it. And while I know it's easy to blame or to criticize Chicharito for this, and I do think that he deserves something. You he just, he just made the highest paid player in Major League Soccer. And that's why I said it wouldn't be nice for him to help out MLS and not do something like this. But then another part of me says it's really not his job to do that. That's the way he feels. Fine. MLS, you deal with it so that him or any other player doesn't have that to fall back on, doesn't feel comfortable. It's not even their first reaction to fall back on something
3: like a retirement in any context. Yeah, I mean, the contrast I just talked about is reflected in the Galaxy's attack. On the one hand, you have Chicharito, but you also have Christian Pavon. You know, the South American under-23 championship is going on right now. The other night I was watching Brazil play against Uruguay. Brazil won 3-1, but Diego Rossi was Uruguay's best player, and and caused the Brazilian yep. backline fits throughout the game. And the, the announcer said several times, Diego Rossi of LAFC, Diego Rossi of MLS. So that, that that's a positive, and that contributes to a changing perception. But the retirement league thing is still out there. We talked a couple of weeks ago on this podcast after Zlatan scored in his first start for AC Milan, MLS folks were all over Twitter throwing that in Eurosnobs' faces and saying, oh, does that mean Surya is a retirement league? So it's still something that's in the heads of MLS folk. And, and yeah, it, it remains a big issue. For and here's sure. the other
2: thing uh, that's, you know, could be challenging for him is that you wanna give yourself the best possible chance of success. And we know MLS is a very strange and unique league. Uh, It provides challenges both on and off the field sometimes that that players have never faced, even players that have played at at incredible leagues and very high levels and stuff like that. So it gives people something to grasp onto if and when things don't go well. If he's not playing well, if the team's not playing well, if he's not scoring goals, whatever ends up being, it's always, well, let's be honest, He's beginning his retirement. And so it almost gives us a way to not hold him accountable as much as we would have in the past. Because, well, he's just beginning his time. And I know if he was here, he would say, you don't understand. Uh, my retirement could last 10 years. So this could be a 10-year, uh, 10-year retirement. I-, I-, I get it. But I think that if he had it to do over again, would he have changed it? Eh, maybe. Maybe not. I mean, I love the fact that he is such a big personality. He's a very different big personality relative to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That's why it was it was fascinating to sit down and, and to see his passion and his emotion and his and his energy. And very positive. It was reminiscent of and I was around when, when we signed Beckham and that first day that we signed him he did every single interview over and over and over again and that's why i asked him as many different questions as i possibly could cuz he had been asked the exact same questions over and over again we had to get the re- retirement question out of the way but then i asked him about the lakers and i asked him about what he's going to drive and i asked him about where he's looking forward to go, uh, going to you know different markets in mls and uh, a, a bunch of a bunch of different things it was it was fun it made me actually I didn't know him before, uh, other than meeting him a couple times, but it made me like him more, and it made me want to root for him more, and it made me a little bit more confident than I have been in the past about this signing.
3: Now, as far as the video, I did think it humanized him, and I got caught up in the emotion of it. Uh, You made a comment about it being staged in your monologue, so did you find it a little bit contrived? uh,
2: Something staged can still be incredibly personal and honest and emotional and impactful, but I, this is just my my jaded and cynical type of heart that I have in this day and age when everything is on display for the world. And everything that you do is is tweeted, is TikToked, is whatever ends up being for people to, to digest. And so I think, I don't think you can take me to task for being a little bit cynical in it. I, I you know, I do believe that the relationship he has with his parents is genuine. The emotion and the sadness, if you will, that seemed to be coming out of him was genuine. But then you turn it around and say, that's something that I wanna give. And then this, it's about, it's about your brand as much as it is about any of that real, genuine, authentic type of emotion that we admittedly saw in that moment. That's why I said we were kind of voyeurs, which is what, what we all are. But we're, but we're voyeurs on something that is staged and therefore cannot be 100% genuine and authentic because there are cameras. And any anytime that you have cameras, including right now, all right, you are going to act differently than when you are at your most vulnerable, at your most honest, and at your most authentic. And that, those type of moments now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, are few and far between in the life that we live in, in 2020.
3: Let's have some fun with this before we sure. move on. Andrew Wiebe of MLS.com put together a list of the top 10 biggest signings in MLS history. Yes. Um, was, some <laughs> consideration to the quality of the player, but I think this is more from a star power, move the needle standpoint. Uh, 10, Jovinko, nine, Valderrama, eight, Drogba, seven, Qualtimo Blanco, six, Rooney, five, Kaká, four Thierry Henry, three Zlatan, two Chicharito, one Beckham. Uh, some of the big omissions people brought up. Ian Joy was outraged that David Villa was not on this right. list. Uh, some people brought up uh, Donovan and Dempsey. They thought this is a little too skewed towards international stars. Uh, what did you make of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it depends. Is it is it a great and important signing in the moment that it happens or, but, or after that body of work is done? So you could say that you could say signing me in 1996 was important for the league, all right? Not, not putting myself in that in, in those categories and stuff like that. Or Marco Echeverri or something like that was important in that in that moment. This, as you said, it did generate a lot of discussion, which is exactly what Andrew Wiebe or anybody that's putting out a list, lists are, lists are like catnip, everybody loves lists. And you put out a list with the pure purpose of fostering debate and fostering argument and fostering, in this case, uh, disagreement because there's uh, there's so many others. I think David Villa was one of the, the great signings in the league for, for what he did. But it was after, well, I mean, who he was, I think it was important. I don't think it had the impact that a lot of people are, or you enjoy necessarily feels in that moment. When, when, the, when you heard that, the, that MLS was signing David Beckham, all right, that, that was a wow moment. Even Chicharito, when you heard, that was like, wow, okay. So that wow factor in the moment in sign, that's where I think the the list has to come down on.
3: Hypothetical. If MLS signed Christian Pulisic this Mm -hmm. upcoming summer, he decided, you know, the heck with Europe. uh, I want to go home and help MLS grow. It would be
2: be second to to David Beckham. There you go. It would be second to David Beckham. For what it meant, means, signifies, first off, it would be an incredible amount of money (laughs) that was spent. It would generate, can you imagine the, the blowing a part of heads uh, exploding when it comes to the people out there that, that view uh, everything uh, that, that is good and right uh, as being uh, in Europe. Oh, it would be, it'd be wonderful. It's never going to happen. Um, well, who knows? Never say never. You never know. Uh, anything else uh, on Chicharito? Let's we'll nope. see. All right, moving on.
0: Getting ready to take on spring.
2: all right it's that time again time for uh, mossy makes the case mossy what are you casing for this week
3: my case is that domestic cups have become very much a case of can't live with them can't live without them. there's been no stopping liverpool in the premier league this season but they finally met their match this past weekend third tier shrewsbury town rallied from two goals down to earn a two-all draw against the reds in the fourth round of the fa cup That sets up a replay at Anfield, which is scheduled for February 4th, right smack during the break the Premier League introduced this season to make up for not stopping during the festive period. So how seriously will the Reds take this replay? Jurgen Klopp has already announced that not only are they going to play the kids, but he is not going to coach this game. It's going to be the under-23 boss instead. That's reignited... Uh, discussion about the viability and relevance of domestic cups in today's congested calendar. And it's not just Liverpool in the eye of the storm. This week, Manchester City played Manchester United in the semifinals of the League Cup. And you might think Pep Guardiola would be talking up a competition that he's won the last two seasons and is, looks poised to win again this season. But instead, he's come out strongly in favor of scrapping the League Cup. France, mind you, is scrapping their League Cup after this season, but this last edition has produced something of a dream final between PSG and Lyon. And last week, I was watching a French show in which they were discussing if it happened to be a great game between PSG and Lyon, would it make people regret getting rid of the League Cup, and therein lies the rub. I think we all objectively recognize that these competitions have become intrusive and have to be streamlined, but soccer fans are traditionalists at heart, and domestic cups still produce the odd great moment which people then cling to to justify the status quo. To hop back to England for a second, last week Tranmere eliminated Watford from the FA Cup by winning a third-round replay at home, and I actually heard people say that that justified the existence of replays because you never would have had a moment like that without them. Look, Alexi Lalas will tell you, there's no more romantic guy than me, but I'm sorry. (laughs) Something has to be done here. With all due respect to the Tranmere's and Shrewsbury's, you can talk about romance all you want, but at the end of the day, you're always better off making decisions with your head rather than your heart. Wow. Okay, Mossy.
2: So I want to make sure I got this right in terms of what you are saying. You recognize and respect the business part of why cups oftentimes exist, right? Yes? Yes. You also recognize and respect the romantic notion that cups have in the past and every once in a while will throw up and the power and the value of having that moment, right? But that's still not enough to justify the continuation for it. I mean, is, is Jurgen Klopp just sitting up there on his uh, perch and uh, and on the mount and uh, looking down at the poor and the uh, less fortunate and saying, not even let them eat cake, the cake is no longer there. I mean, is it is it easy for Jurgen Klopp in the elite position that he is? Is he being elitist and not saying as much as I am responsible for Liverpool, I am part of a greater ecosystem and I have a responsibility because of the wonderful wealth that I have achieved and have at my disposal to make sure that at least some of the crumbs filter down to everyone?
3: Perhaps, but I think a competition is only relevant if the biggest clubs in it care about it uh, to some degree. And it's interesting. One country right now celebrating the rebirth of its domestic cup is Spain. Uh, the Copa del Rey used to be two legs in every round, which was ridiculous. They've done away with that. Now it's only one game, and it's always at the home of the lower division team, which is something Germany has done for years. And so last week you had, in consecutive days, Real Madrid struggling against Unionistas. Barcelona needed a stoppage time winner to beat Ibiza, and Atletico Madrid actually lost to third-tier cultural Leonesa. And all those games had juice. And so in Spain, they now feel like the Copa del Rey is back on track. So I think England should take a page out of France and scrap its League Cup. And I think they should take a page out of spain and germany do away with the replays and just make it one game at the home of the lower division side because i think this is a less is more situation where if you make it less games and less taxing that might be the only way to compel some of these bigger clubs to actually care about these competitions now again.
2: just for for those of us out there that uh, that aren't as smart as you uh, please explain when it comes to the cups okay there's different types of cups we are talking about the cup that includes all different divisions, uh, so all different levels, uh, and it's an open cup basically is what we are, we're talking about. But there are still other cups, that, whether it's Liverpool or other teams play, that don't necessarily include all the teams, right? Correct, yeah. Okay, so if they scrap this, who gets hurt
3: well, the most? Well, let, let's go through, just to play devil's advocate, all the arguments I've heard against what I just okay. said. Okay, uh, first up, scrapping the League Cup. Right. Um, uh, I've heard people say that that's going to hurt young players because, you know, we all criticize Premier League clubs for not playing sure. young players enough. I mean, you don't, but right. other people do. <laughs> um, and, and they say, well, the League Cup is an opportunity to do that. And so you're depriving young players of opportunities. Does that argument compel you at all? No. I, I, it doesn't compel me either. I think young players get better by playing in matches of relevance. And this whole business in England where a young player can't be trusted to play in the Premier League or the Champions League, but will throw him in the odd League Cup right. match, and somehow that's helping him develop, I, I, I don't buy that. Another argument I've heard is that making it what I said where it's one game always at the home of the yes. lower division team, that deprives these smaller clubs of the chance to play in these hallowed venues like Anfield, Old Trafford, Camp Nou, the Bernabeu, and that that's kind of the romance of this competition. Do you buy that?
2: Or, or from a pure business standpoint, if it doesn't necessarily make sense for them to play to play at home, they actually can make more money by going it. I mean, just
3: to show you how big people are in this argument, the Shrewsbury game against Liverpool was 2-2 in the 75th minute, and the announcer spent the last 15 minutes of that game debating whether you're Shrewsbury. Do you really push forward and try to get a third goal, or do you play for a draw? You're better off actually getting the replay at Anfield. And, and by the way, they were also discussing whether if you're Liverpool, you'd be better off if Shrewsbury scored, because you'd rather a loss than a, a win or a draw, because you just want to get this competition out of there and to clear your calendar. So to me, that might have been the most farcical 15 yeah. minutes in the 150-year history of the FA Cup, where you have a game that's 2-2 in the 75th minute, and to hear the announcers tell it, neither team would want to score a goal right, right. now. So I, I don't know. that. Yeah, that sort I, of... I don't think that you should penalize the team. If,
2: if you just go to one game, which I do think it should go to one game. I joked on Twitter that uh, it not only should go to one game, but it should go to one game and then immediately have the old NASL MLS type of shootout <laughs> from 35 yards. Uh, that was met with not a tremendously positive reaction uh, to those that can't take a joke. So if you are a team uh, that, like I said, is using it not just for the competition, but also as a way to make some money and significant money. If you're a lower division team, some significant money. You shouldn't be penalized for having no more replays and stuff like that. So if there is an opportunity for you to make money and you make less money by actually hosting it, you know they should be able to make up that gap.
3: Yeah, there's something fundamentally yeah. wrong with putting a team in a situation where they're happier with a draw than yeah, a win. That's... I mean, there's something weird about that. And, you know, this whole issue of romance, uh, I'm sorry, but, okay, Shrewsbury Town are going to get to go to <laughs> this Anfield. This whole issue of romance. I hate romance. <laughs> Shrewsbury Town <laughs> are going to go to Anfield right now, uh, and they're going to play in a half-empty stadium against a bunch of kids, and it's not even going to be Jurgen Klopp on the sideline. It's going to be Neil, whatever his name is. their under-23 coach. And if they win that game, they're actually going to be people that are going to say, oh, that, this is such a romantic, great story, and I just fundamentally don't buy that, that winning a game under those circumstances, it, there's anything really special about it. To me, uh, an upset, for it to be significant, the team that lost has to actually be upset that they lost the game. And as we talked about, Liverpool fans were sitting there this weekend saying, you know what, As long as, when Shrewsbury got their second goal, we might as well have them just score a third here just to beat us and clear the calendar. And that's how much we care about this competition, that Jurgen Klopp is not even going to be coaching in it. But, so, I mean, I just don't know where the romance comes if the bigger clubs don't care about it at all. But let's circle back
2: to... Jurgen Klopp and I know we're using him but it's not as if he's the only one that's complained no. about this but he is he is using his power and his leverage to maybe facilitate some change I don't know but in doing so is he being a pied piper uh and therefore someone that because of the power that he wields uh it could come from nobody else than him or is he being disrespectful
3: in what he's doing what do you say I think he should coach the game. That 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 feels a, little, a bit much to me. But I think generally speaking, I'm on this page that the calendar is too cluttered right now and they have to figure out a smarter way. You know, Liverpool have had a very tumultuous season when it comes to domestic cups because with the League Cup, they dealt with that whole issue where they had a game scheduled in England the day before their Club World Cup semi final in Qatar. And they essentially had to choose one competition or the other. They chose the Club World Cup. Klopp flew there with all the first team players. They played a bunch of kids in the League Cup and got hammered by Villa. And, and that to me felt completely ridiculous. Ridiculous, and now they're dealing with this of having to play an FA Cup game during what's ostensibly supposed to be a break, and and so I mean I think twice here he's had a pretty good case to say that the calendar is, is is crazy, and we have to do something about this.
2: Uh, we'll finish it up here and, and relate it back to what's going on uh, here in the U.S. because we have an Open Cup here too, and obviously without the traditional promotional relegation promotion relegation type of system that we have, it makes it that much more I think interesting and therefore important, but you still, even in major league soccer, you still have coaches that look at it as an intrusion, as an unnecessary type of uh, thing to have happen. But, um, yeah, cause so I don't know. If it's even happening here, in, in they're, they're trying to find ways to increase the the visibility of U.S. Lamar Hunt uh, Open Cup. And I don't think they have the answer here either.
3: I was going to ask you about the U.S. Open Cup because uh, our, our good friend Eric Winalda, I know, has always bemoaned that that's not a bigger competition. Here, you know, we know Eric has a bug up his ass about MLS and, and loves nothing more than to stick it to MLS by having a lower division yeah, but team if Eric beat was an MLS, MLS team, coach would he would he look at it in the same question. way yeah. and to be to be fair Eric has done that a few times and, and beat an MLS team with a lower sure. division team so yeah the US Open Cup I think also plays into this also to hop back to Europe for a second uh, I know there's this argument that if you get rid of the league cup and and shorten the FA cup you're continuing to chip away at the fabric of domestic football and lay the groundwork for a European yeah, super league that... so there's that whole larger issue hovering above it and, and that's
2: where I think I come I can respect what Jurgen Klopp is saying. And it's interesting that he picked this to to, to say because congestion, we've we, we talked about it on some previous pods and stuff like that. Liverpool has been a, a, a shining light in terms of not complaining about conge- – well, complaining, but still do, going out and doing their job and, and operating on multiple fronts and doing all that kind of stuff. But this is where – this is – you know, this is the hill that he has chosen to, uh, you know, to die on to a certain extent or at least to fight on uh, right now. And it'll be interesting to see if there are the adjustments. And look, every everything changes. I was arguing with someone on Twitter about, oh, you know, this change or why are you changing the game? Everything has changed. If you look at what the game is today relative to 10, 20, 30, and you go back 50, 100, uh, obviously 100, <laughs> 100 years, it it changes. It changes on the field. It changes off the field. And what we look at as a undeniable and irreplaceable type of tradition can go away. And that's that's okay, that's not the worst thing. I, look, I, I love romance, I love tradition, as you know, uh, but things can change. We'll see if uh, the domestic cup, whether it's in England or any place else, uh, including the United States and, uh, and Canada changes
0: going forward. Anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on Select Battery Tool Sets. Real steel. Offer valid on Select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Ask Alexi.
2: Okay, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on the uh, social media platforms, and you send us some comments, questions, and concerns, and we pick two or three of them, and we
3: read them off as we are about to do right now. Mossy, what do the people want to know? First up, at Lloyd Heilbrunn, Inter-Miami started their first practice today without a big-name player to be seen. Have we had seven years of bait-and-switch from David Beckham?
2: Interesting. Okay, so for those that don't know, Inter-Miami starts playing in a few weeks in their inaugural season in Major League Soccer. David Beckham is one and certainly the most high-profile owner of that team in what is a very high-profile and quote-unquote desirable uh, market. We'll see how it it functions. I think that you have a right to be miffed to a certain extent about the lack of high-profile, sexy type of signings, especially given some of the names that were bandied about. I don't know if that is going to ultimately last. Is it that you want, if you, if you can only have one, a competitive, I'm not saying a championship team, but a competitive MLS team from the start or a up and down sporadic type of team, but had a big name star or multiple big name stars, what, what would you want? That's an open-ended question. You can, uh, you can answer it. When I think about Inter-Miami right now, the most interesting thing about them Still remains the fact that David Beckham is involved, that it's in Miami, and that their logo has a beautiful white heron on it. They have yet to do anything on the field, and obviously the ball hasn't been kicked yet, but they have yet to do anything in terms of their signings that has really said, wow, this is something that I would associate with David Beckham. That's that's David Beckham's unique challenge, I guess you will, relative to pretty much all other MLS teams is he is, whether he's involved or not, or how much he's involved or not, this is his team. And therefore the good and bad is going to fall on his shoulders and that it's going to reflect on him and to that incredible global brand that, uh, that he has right now. That's a long way of saying, I don't think that it's been a bait and switch, but I completely understand how inter Miami folks are saying, where's the beef? That's an old reference. There's probably a lot of people out there. Did you get that reference, uh, Alex, young and over there? Oh, yeah, big Wendy's fan. Okay, there you go. There you go. So it, it still, to a certain extent, resonates. But you're kind of a freak anyway, so you would you would uh, remember that. I think it is appropriate right now to say, Inter-Miami, where's the beef? There you go, Mossy. Anything to add? To the beef thing? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> uh, you have no beef comments? No. All
3: right. Next up, at... Real Matt Sears. Uh, this one is actually directed at me. That's Statman oh, okay. Mossy. With reports coming out that Bayern Munich are not going to activate Coutinho's buyout option, I'm wondering what you think his next move might be. Hashtag Ask Alexi and hashtag Ask Well, then, you,
2: then you started off, my friend. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, the Bayern Munich news came as no surprise to me. Um, the issue here Barcelona paid a preposterous fee for Coutinho of 160 million euros. And if they're going to use that number as the basis for any negotiation, it's going to be a real problem. The deal they struck with Bayern was a one year loan with an option to buy for 120 million euros, which Coutinho could be having a great season. There's no world in which Bayern yeah. Munich were going to pay 120 million euros for a player who turns 28 this year. They're all about getting younger. They're they big targets at some else be is going to? Guys like Leroy Sané, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, I think. Barcelona's hope was that Coutinho would play well enough that while Bayern wouldn't pay the 120 they might come in with yeah. an offer that Barcelona could live with right. perhaps an English team would be impressed enough by what Coutinho did this season that they'd come in with an offer this is all about Barcelona saving face uh, they want to get rid of him but they want to do it for a number that's not completely embarrassing right. given what they spent and I think that's going to be very difficult um, Coutinho has had some moments this season he's played well at times he hasn't played that well to really reinvigorate his brand so I don't think his market is such that they're going to get any kind of offers that are going to help them save face. I think the only way to get him off the team is to include him in some sort of swap deal, like the one that was bandied about this past Mm -hmm. summer with PSG. uh, Hey, we'll give you money and Coutinho for Neymar. And if you include him in a deal like that, you can kind of fuzzy up his value a little. It's not clear how much money is attached to him in that kind of deal. Plus, if he's helping you bring back a player you like, it sort of takes a sting out of the embarrassment of that whole Coutinho transaction.
2: But but if, if you're not bundling him, uh, what what is his worth we just we just established that it sure as hell isn't 120 million. Even and then even in 2020 where we know everything is inflated, what is a Coutinho 2020 worth at this
3: point? I think given his age, he like I said he turns 28, I don't know, maybe 50-60 million I was euros. Say. I think where we could be headed here, believe it or not, is he might end up back at Barcelona next season the same way James Rodriguez right. is, ended up back at Real Madrid and gotten a second chance, which James started the season really well, but then got injured and he's kind of fallen out of the mix and hasn't really taken advantage of the second chance. Coutinho could end up back at Barcelona and they might talk themselves into the fact that it was all Varverde's fault and maybe under their and he can get the best out of him. So that could be where we're headed for all this. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a major headache for Barcelona. All right. What else? Uh, and we'll end on this, at Solo Yosh, heard on the last pod that you were watching The Mandalorian. What happened to not streaming a series until it is wrapped?
2: Okay, so for those that don't know, if you haven't listened, I have a steadfast rule in that I don't watch a series, a television series uh, on you know, Netflix or whatever it ends up being unless the series is completed. And I'm not talking about the season, I'm talking about the series. It's done and dusted so that I can binge it from start to stop. I don't have to be uh, waiting with bated breath for that next episode to come out. My child started watching The Mandalorian. Uh, I have a child, and as many of you do out there, and as I'm assuming many of you do out there, they are infatuated and love anything and everything Star Wars. So this Mandalorian thing comes out, and I started watching it, but I started watching it with the uh, assumption because this is what I was led to believe that it was just one season. Obviously it's gone great guns and we come to find out, Alex, please correct me if I'm wrong, that in 2020 there will be a second season. Uh, Yes, there will be. Okay. Uh, wonderfully informative and, and, uh, and, and deep input from Alex uh, on the pod so far, uh, giving, uh, giving him uh, his microphone. So there is going to be another season of The Mandalorian, and so therefore you are right. What's your name? Solo Yosh, that I have, uh, theoretic not theoretically, I have I've actually broken my vow not to uh, watch something that isn't completed. In my defense, I didn't know that it was going to be another season. I'm not sure they even realized that it was going to be season another season. Certainly, it's a possibility. We're also hearing about a Mandalorian movie, Star Wars type of movie that will be uh, that, that could possibly uh, come out. Either way, I'm doing this because I enjoy it uh, and because there's a family element to it. So I please please forgive me. But I did watch from start to finish. Bodyguard. It's called Bodyguard. And I love the fact that it was start to finish six episodes, so it's not ridiculously crazy. Nobody told me about this thing. and My wife mentioned it to me, and it was great. I loved it. Have you there watched you that thing? I
3: did. Terrific. Oh, you did?
2: Okay, yeah. sorry. You're, you guys are all... Have you watched that thing, Alex? Oh, you did too? You guys are supposed to keep me up to date on what's going on, especially something that is right up my alley where it's just six episodes. I can start it and finish it. I don't have to worry about anything. Although I did read that because it got so successful, they weren't even ready for it to be successful, that it might even come out, uh, might even do another another season, which puts me right back where I started.
3: My man Rob Stark is everywhere. He's also in the movie 1917. uh... All right, that's the yeah, no, one uh, getting all the awards. Yep, all yeah. right,
2: uh, no more ask Alexi, right? That's it. Uh, or ask Mossy out there. Thank you for uh, the questions uh, each and every week. Please send those ask Alexi or uh, ask Mossy uh, questions with that hashtag ask Alexi or that hashtag ask Mossy, and uh, let us know what you are thinking, what do you uh, what you want to know, questions, comments, concerns out there, and uh, we will, like we just did, pick a few of them and uh, answer and uh, comment on them. So thank you very much to all that did that this week and
0: continue to do so. All right, moving on. Okay,
2: it's time for the back three. When we look at some big stories or games or moments out there in the world of soccer, what's uh, in our back three this week, Masi?
3: Begin in Spain. uh, Major developments in the title race this past weekend. Uh, Barcelona turned in a dreadful performance, lost 2-0 away to Valencia, while Real Madrid grinded out a 1-0 win away to Valladolid, which I know it's a cliche, but felt like the kind of game that wins you league titles. Mm -hmm. And uh, Real Madrid are now three points clear, Let's uh let's hold, hit on on,
2: the, hold on a second. This is Barcelona, uh, the Barcelona yes, that we've talked let, about over the years. Right. Hit, New
3: coach Barcelona, right? Let's hit on the managers here. First with Barcelona. <laughs> There's already some murmurs of maybe this uh, in season coaching change wasn't such a hot idea. I know you're somebody that kind of bristles at this whole Barcelona obsession with style of play, which is clearly what this whole thing was was. That's what on. you told me it was. Get We're getting of... somebody that knows how to play our system. It's not about winning, it's how we so win. So are, are you reveling in this? Or are you kind of rooting for this whole thing to blow up in Barcelona's so, face?
2: So now not only are they not winning, but they're not even playing well in the way that they're not li- winning, right? So they're not even living up to the romance that has been established for what Barcelona is. Yeah. They are not mess de un club right now. They are menos de un club, is that what it is? <laughs>
3: (laughs) I am something of a hipster who likes Kike Setien, so it's only been a couple of games. I'm I'm hoping he does well there. But listen, Real Madrid are objectively the better team, and they are playing the, the style of football that Barcelona are yearning for. Real Madrid are playing it more effectively. Zidane is now starting... Uh, four midfielders, five even sometimes. Lots of technical ability there. You've got Cruz and Modric and Isco and Valverde all in the same lineup. They're knocking the ball around beautifully, dominating possession in every game. The only Achilles heel there is there's not actually a lot of goals in that lineup. It's really dependent on Benzema. Hazard is coming who loves, back.
2: Who likes goals? Right? Yeah,
3: <laughs> Hazard is coming back. That helps. But he only has one goal this season. Yeah. Rodrigo gave him a boost early in the season, but his goals have dried up. And so, boy, if it's not Benzema scoring, it's like, you know, Nacho off a set piece this week, the game before Casemiro. But you can't really depend on those guys. You'd like to have, like, a second dependable goal scorer besides Benzema, which they don't really have, which could be an issue against City in the Champions League and in this title race. Uh, but let me ask you about Zidane. Mm-hmm. Um, he wins those Champions League titles. I know you felt like, okay, he was the perfect coach for that moment, but it remains to be seen if he's really a great coach. He might need to go to a different situation and do well. He steps back from Real Madrid, comes back in with a slightly different iteration of Real Madrid without right. Ronaldo. If he does really well here, would that sort of validate uh, his, his coaching greatly to you?
2: Not relative to someone like Pep, not relative to someone like Jose. Or It's got to be know, a
3: totally different situation. I,
2: I, I find it, and, and look, and I know people are going to say, yeah, but Sir Alex and stuff like that. All right, well, Sir Sir Alex, y- yes, I mean, he is always going to be associated with that. And I factor that in. If you have had success only at one place, one place alone, okay, I can't put you in the same breadth that I put others that have done it multiple places, okay? Because I think that it takes more talent to be able to have success at multiple places than it does just to be able to have it at one place for an extended period of time. And look, I know we live in the day and age where nobody stays anywhere for extended time, and I do value that, that you can have a consistency and that you can have a successful run for extended period of time that is worthy of my respect and attention But when it comes to analyzing and assessing and I guess grading coaches, the ones that are able to do it multiple places have a higher level of respect uh, and value to me than the ones that don't.
3: Interesting thing there is it's not quite Liverpool levels of this, but because they've had so much Champions League success last few years and relatively less La Liga success, Zidane has gone out of his way to say the priority is actually La Liga this season, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, they say all sorts of things. (laughs) Coaches say all sorts of things. Speaking of major title race developments, uh, next up is the Bundesliga. You might recall on last week's pod, I made a big deal about how Bayern would rather be chasing Dortmund than Leipzig because Dortmund will melt under pressure while Leipzig are different. They're going to keep churning out the results. And right on cue, Leipzig make me look... (laughs) like an idiot because they lose 2-0 away to Frankfurt this past weekend. Well, Bayern hammer Schalke 5-0. The gap is just one point. They play in a couple of weeks at the Allianz Arena. And now everybody's back to thinking this is business as usual and Bayern are going to blow past them. And of course, Bayern are going to win the league. And we were foolish to ever think that somebody else was going to win it. Are you on that page? Has the air gone out of the Leipzig balloon completely?
2: No, I don't think it's gone out of the Leipzig balloon completely. But uh, when I look at this... Opportunity, if you will. I mean, you you knew that as soon as that happened uh, this weekend, we're Leipzig and we were working the game, you knew that Bayern was sitting there licking their chops and saying, "Okay, here we go, here we go." And now, when you look at the uh, the standings, uh, it's let's see, it's four points from first to fourth, uh, six points from first to fifth. So it is a it is a traffic jam, a beautiful traffic jam uh, right now. And yet, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody. That wouldn't put their money ultimately right now Bayern's one point uh, like you mentioned back from Leipzig uh, right now that wouldn't put their money on Bayern Munich eventually uh, going ahead it's great for us from a broadcast perspective it's great for the uh, the neutral to kind of follow something like this especially relative to other leagues that uh, are, are already almost uh, decided right there because there are so many people in uh, in the mix right now
3: on Saturday we actually had an interesting sort of larger conversation mm-hmm. about what Leipzig are trying to be because when they burst on the scene a few years ago, they were talking like they were going to be PSG in this monolith intent on world domination. We're going to topple Bayern. We're going to win the Champions League. And they've sort of operated a little bit more in a Dortmundish kind of way. You know, young players. They sold Nabi kate to Liverpool. The expectation is they're going to sell Timo Werner now. And we, we ran a feature in which Nagelsmann is talking about, hey, if we win the, the Bundesliga, this season, great, but it's really a four-year plan to try to win it in the next four years. And I think we're all sort of trying to figure out exactly what Leipzig are trying to be right now.
2: Can you explain to the folks out there that, that maybe don't, no, why Leipzig I th- and, and correct me if I'm wrong but I I, w- I would say that right now they are behind Bayern Munich the second most hated team out there for what they are doing not necessarily on the field but off the field can you explain to folks why that is
3: yeah in, in Germany they sort of bristle at the way the Premier League has become beholden to these rich uh, Russian oligarchs or Arab sheiks buying teams and spending all this money so they want to maintain a sort of community feel to these clubs. So they have this 50 plus one rule where the clubs, at least 51% of it has to be board members who, who make all the decisions, and they feel like Leipzig have skirted all those rules, and Red Bull have figured out all these loopholes and are essentially operating like a big English club and so, this huge monolith. You know. So,
2: you know, they're corporate, commercial, plastic, whatever <laughs> whatever you want to see uh, backed by uh, this corporation. I think in the, in the most traditional sense of business, they're looking to franchise. That's what... Uh, Le- Leipzig, uh, that's what Red Bull is looking to do. They are looking to brand teams all over the world. And that in and of itself, I know raises antennas and, and and people bristle at that. But if the brand, okay, and if these franchises, and if this proliferation and spread of this brand entails really good quality soccer, which and, and a specific type and brand of soccer, that's okay. The question that we were having on our broadcast this weekend is, do they wanna be a super club, okay? Can they be a super club even within this model? And I think Manchester City has shown that yes, you can within that, within that model. If that's the case, they got to spend a lot more money. They have to make it the primary destination for players that come to Germany, and that's difficult with what Bayern Munich is. And most importantly, probably, they have to keep the players that they have as opposed to being that selling team. So when it comes to Timo Werner, who even this week more talk about him possibly going to uh, Liverpool, they have to make sure that if they have big players, if they really want to be that super club, and I, I do think they harbor ambitions to be that even within the context of this franchising type of thing, they got to keep their players. I
3: asked Stu Holden, Kate Abdo, and Ian Joy this question on Sunday. It's complete hypothetical, mind you. Dortmund have made a point of saying they're not going to sell players to uh, Bayern anymore. Right. But let's say Bayern had to replace Lewandowski this upcoming summer. He said, I'm going, and there was no stopping him. And they were given a choice between signing Timo Werner or Erlen Haaland. Who would they take right now?
2: <sighs> I think—oh, they're different players, though, Mossy. But I think ultimately— because uh, it, this is Bayern Munich, right? Correct. Bayern Munich. Allen is, is, is still not the finished article. He's still so young. I think to replace Lewandowski with someone like that, I think your stopgap is a Timo Werner. I still think they'd go with Timo Werner. You know, but it's a he's a such a very he's, he's a very different player than Lewandowski. So, man, that's a really good question. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still gonna say that they would go with uh, Timo Werner. I I. I love Timo Werner. If I, I asked this question uh this weekend of Ian and, and of Stu, and take out the the age part of it, but if you had one game to play, okay, and this is more of a like for like comparison, I think, if you had one game to play, would you rather have Timo Werner up top or Jamie Vardy up top? Oof. You see how that's much more of a comparison between the two players as opposed to taking... a Lewandowski and a right, Timo right, Werner? Right. There, Lewandowski and Timo Werner are not polar opposites, but they're very, very different. I think different. I'd take Timo Werner. you take Timo Werner no.
3: over Jamie Vard. Yeah. No. Interesting. Interesting. We'll end on this. Okay. Um, this is our last podcast before the January transfer window slams shut around Europe. So there could be a flurry of activity in the next few days. And if so, we'll, we'll address that in next week's pod. But as we sit here today... It's been kind of lame. been kind of lame. I actually think the most interesting moves have occurred in the Bundesliga, which we were just talking about. Obviously, Dortmund getting Holland, And also Leipzig signing Danny Omo, who's this uh, talented young Spanish midfielder who all the big clubs are after. He's been shining with Dinamo Zagreb, did well in the Champions League this season and he chose Leipzig, which is another indication, but we've talked about how young players are figuring out that Germany is the way to go.
2: But as far as big moves, uh, you know, the only one that was bandied about, I think I've said that now twice on the pod, bandied about, Cavani was talked about and and that kind of stuff, but as far as big names, nothing yeah, no,
3: and, and just— Do you think wh- anything's going to happen here in the last couple of days before this window slams shut? And one, one note on Cavani. There's this very talented young Brazilian midfielder, Bruno Guimarães, who Atletico Madrid had a first option on, which means that if another club agreed a deal with Atletico Paranense this month, they had a chance to match it. And it looked at one point like he was definitely going to go there. And then they got very fuzzy on it. They were worried about financial fair play. They said, well, we got to st- sign a striker instead, and we're going to get Cavani, and so we don't have room for you. And, okay, maybe we'll take you, but we'll only in the summer. And and he felt disrespected enough that Lyon came in with an offer, and he took that, and he's going to Lyon. And now it looks like Atletico might not even end up with a striker because right. PSG are playing hardball over Cavani. And if this window slams shut without Atletico Madrid having signed a striker and addressing their goal-scoring issues and having missed out on this kid who I think is an amazing talent who could have been their Federico Valverde, then it's an epic fail. And Atletico, to me, go down as the big losers in this transfer window.
2: Do you think that anybody, uh, when it comes to the EPL right now, between Manchester United and, I guess, Spurs or anything like that, is anything big get done? I mean, it's amazing, but Manchester United right now, it's, it's just... Just buy. Just do
3: something. Yeah, just I mean, g- <laughs> look, Liverpool, Liverpool they made the move for Minamino, but they didn't need to do anything beyond that. Uh, City, you thought maybe a defender, but with Laporte coming back, okay, they didn't have to do anything. But it's that quartet behind them of Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, United, who you thought for sure at least a couple of those clubs would make big, bold deals this January. None of them have. I mean, what, what do you think? Out of those four, which one are you most surprised about? Which one should the fans be angriest about? Uh, I don't
2: think that Alex and his Chelsea folks should be angry that nothing has happened are you angry over there alex with uh with what's happened or what hasn't happened cautiously pessimistic you're cautiously pessimistic <laughs> all right that sounds very chelsea chelsea of you yeah I, I think if there is anybody i think i mean it's manchester united i mean the, the you know what show that's going on over there I, I don't you don't get out of it but you're not growing out of this for manchester united so the only way to get out of it is to spend more money. And you're lucky because you have the money to be able to spend. So go and make the changes that you make. us. Just keep making changes until you get the right formula. Because you don't have a wizard when it comes to a coach. Okay. And you don't, I don't see one coming in. We know the backroom type of uh, problems that that occur right now, which obviously leads directly to, it's one thing to buy things and it's another thing to buy smart right now, which they haven't done.
3: And the Brazilian kid I just mentioned, Bruno Guimarães, Arsenal were linked with him all month, but I don't think ever actually made an offer, which was, but they were like a a guy who chats up a girl all night, but forgets to ask for a number at the end of the night. I, 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 it blows my mind, but.
2: But if you, if you are a team that is struggling and that, I mean, there, there is the definition of a team is struggling is Manchester United. The only thing that really appeases fans and shows that you are being proactive is buying players, making moves. Standing pat, that is not sexy, that doesn't signal to anybody that you are doing what needs to be done. Being proactive, making changes, even just for the look of it, at least that buys you some time. And so I, I, I'd be surprised, and I am surprised that more hasn't happened. All right, anyway, that, that window is closing. And speaking of closing, we come to the end of yet another pod, and not just another pod actually, the end of our 100th episode. And as I said in the beginning, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us for these 100 pods. We hope we have 100 more uh, and give you what you want. As I also said, we're looking to tweak and change and hopefully improve the things that are going on. And one of the things that uh, we thought about was at the end, uh, for those that have listened, you know that we had my one big thing. And oftentimes it basically was just a rehash uh, and a, uh, a repeat of of something that I had talked about beforehand. Not always, but most of the time, it related to the State of the Union. And rather than kind of repeat what I had already said, or just expand upon what I had already said, we thought, look, let's just give you more content and something that you hadn't heard. And so we are changing the one big thing outro to our show uh, to one for the road. Am I getting that right, Alex? Yes, indeed. All right. All right. Uh, Riveting stuff from Alex and his First pod. It's been a shocking day, let's be honest. But either either way, it's going to be one for the road, in which point I will uh, end the show and I will give you just a little snippet, uh, a little story, if you will, uh, from the past, from the world of soccer. For those that listen to the pod, you'll also know that I end the pod each and every week saying size the day. And while I say it, and I think people uh, accept it because if they've heard it a bunch of times, they just accept it. That's part of the deal. The story behind Size the Day, uh, I don't think I've ever ever told it. It's still out there. You can find it out there. But here's the deal. And this is why I say Size the Day. If you look at my Twitter page, it says Size the Day. People all the time uh, will come to me and say, oh, you don't know that Seize the Day and all that kind of stuff. So many, many years ago, back in the 1900s, I was playing for the U.S. men's national team, getting ready for the 1994 World Cup. Uh, our coach... Uh, for that team was Bora Milatinovic a, speaking of a savant, a, a soccer savant, kind of like you, Mossy, and his ability to re- retain information. He said he spoke five language languages. Uh, he, he did speak five languages. He did not speak five languages well. Uh, and whether it came to English uh, or other languages, but he got by, and that's how he communicated, oftentimes in all five uh, languages, even in one sentence, which made him at times like Yogi Berra and at times like Yoda, Uh, and so a mixture of the two. We were getting ready for a game, and Boro was not only infatuated with soccer, but he was also infatuated by the American culture that he was immersed in and took incredible pleasure and joy in seeing things that we take for granted and are very mundane. One day he was walking around a a mall, as we were wont to do, and he saw, and back in the day they were called, uh, they were stores called successories. They might still exist, I don't know, but they were basically these stores that had calendars and posters and teddy bears and whatever, and they had all these adages and mottos and phrases and motivational type of things. And so he saw uh, one of these things that he bought that said size the day and he you know he knew from the Latin uh, carpe diem seize the day sees the moment all that kind of stuff and so that wasn't the problem he just liked it and he wanted to have it, and he brought it back to his office and he brought it back in English and so before the game uh, he came into the locker room and he started running around getting very very excited uh, impressing upon us how this was a great opportunity for us and he started running around screaming size the day. And nobody knew exactly what he was talking about because that's in his mind how he pronounced it and translate, translated seize the day. And it always stuck with me watching Bora Militinovich run around the locker room screaming at us, telling us to size the day. And anybody can seize the day and many people have. But I always thought that sizing the day, now that's something different and that's something unique. And so I've always used size the day as opposed to seize the day. And so if you are out there, I highly recommend that you seize the day. And many of you have, and many of you will continue to seize the day. But I also recommend that if you have the opportunity to size the day, certainly do that. That's one for the road. Uh, This is the end of our 100th podcast of the State of the Union. Thank you so much for tuning in and subscribing. Uh, and reviewing and downloading and doing all the things that you do. Here's to another 100. Thank you to Alex uh, on his first day on mic. Say uh, goodbye to the folks there. Only took 100 episodes for you to come to your senses. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see if we continue on with his microphone. You know, with that microphone comes uh, great expectations and incredible power. All right. So you better wield it appropriately, right? Uh, Mossy. anything before we go? Nope. All right. As you know... It's the end, and we're at the end. As I just told you, what do I say? Size of the day.